0: Good morning. It is a beautiful and good morning. I hope that you have come today uh, excited about the fact that we have a risen Savior. He is alive. He is alive. This morning as I walk through this, um, I'm going to take some big jumps until I get to the end of Luke chapter 24. So just hang in there with me. I'm going to try my best to move quickly through some big thoughts that I have this morning. You know, in our lives, we struggle with how to respond in situations. We do. We struggle with how to respond. Sometimes we choose wisely. Other times we do not. We have burdens we carry with us. Many of us, we come to church on Sunday mornings and we've got a lot of burdens on our heart in our minds. We have burdens such as family, finances, church responsibilities, church family, work, co-workers, casual relationships and more we've got a lot of burdens on our hearts and many of us have experienced betrayal in some way or another we've experienced that in our lives betrayal is not normally considered for those we have a casual relationship with or an acquaintance but those who are nearest to us and many of us feel tied to our burdens we feel bound to our burdens or betrayals we want to break free of these present moments or forsake and forget those of the past We really like and prefer to bury these things in a grave. These burdens, these betrayals, these bindings that we have. We'd love to deal with them or see them no more. But unfortunately, many of these things, we never can get past them. These burdens and betrayal bind us for what feels like an eternity. Christ is not unfamiliar with these things we encounter in our own lives today. Christ is not separate when Christ came the scripture tells us that he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin the burdens the betrayal the bindings the things that we experience in our lives as human beings he experienced also yet without sin so as we look today I'm going to take a few big steps through many of these passages of scripture To get us to the beauty of the resurrection. And that's where I'm going to conclude is with the beauty of the resurrection. But first we've got to look at part of what brought Christ to him. To this point. If you came Friday night, you got to participate in the tenebrae service. Tenebrae means shadow. Uh, One thing that I will apologize for is the lack of introduction to the evening. uh, To explain what that word meant. Uh, And and what was going to take place during the evening. But there are shadows that were cast over Christ. And as as we snuffed out each candle that evening. Each one represented more darkness that came upon the earth. Because the Lord and Savior of all was placed in a tomb. But thankfully and gratefully and wonderfully. He's not there today. He hasn't been there on that third day. He said, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up on the third day. He was not talking about a physical temple made by human hands. He was talking about his body. Nobody takes his life. He, lay it down, he lays it down of himself. And he will raise it back up. And we rejoice in what he has done. But there was a burden that Christ carried to the grave. If you look there in Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 44. Now listen, I'm not going to read all, this, all these passages of Scripture because it's a lot. As Sean pointed out, it's over 100 passages of Scripture today, okay? You're thinking, gosh, I thought you got that out last year. I thought you got that hour-long service out last year. I, I promise you I did. But we're looking at the burden of the cross. And specifically the verse that I'm looking at this morning is there in verse 44 to start off for this passage. The burden of the cross. It says in verse 44 of Luke chapter 22. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Where was Christ when this happened? Where was Christ when this agony and this burden was upon him? He was in the garden. But what was he doing? Praying. Praying. When we have burdens, we have got to pray to the Lord. Prayer is the way to unload a burden. Not social media or outbursts. We must curb on flesh. We must curb our flesh through prayer so we may live out grace in the flesh toward those without Christ. Jesus had to offer this time. He had a burden on Him, a huge burden. And prayer should be, unless in public worship, an intimate conversation between who you are before Christ, knowing before whom you pray. That's what prayer is. Prayer should be an intimate conversation about who you are before Christ, knowing before whom you pray. You are coming before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're coming before the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. And when you come before Him, you can lay those burdens down before Him. And you give that to Him. Christ knew coming to His Father. This is where the burden is. The burden is upon me, but I must talk to my Father. When you and I have a burden, we must go to the Father. And as believers, we are to humble ourselves to the will of the Father. And the Lord will strengthen us in our honesty before Him, just as Christ was strengthened in His honesty before the Father. If you look in just the passage before that, in verse 43, it says, An angel appeared to Him from heaven, strengthening Him. Why is that? Because He went honestly before the Father with the burden of His heart. And God said, I'll meet you there. But you know, for us, one thing, you know, one thing that's beautiful is, there was more placed on Christ than he could handle. You may say, oh, oh, you know, people quote that scripture all the time. God won't put more on you than you can handle. That's not exactly true. You got to read the rest of that scripture, then he will not provide an escape from. Christ is our escape. He is our escape. Not social media, not outburst, not any of those things. He is our escape. And so Christ, who is his escape? This burden, the Father was His escape. But the thing is, is there would be no escape apart from His death and resurrection. The burden of our sin was upon Him. And it was heavy. I want to tell you, I've dealt with a heavy week this week. We've had loss in family members in our church, losing family members. We've had people in car accidents. We've had people go to the hospital over sickness. I've been prepared for the Tenebrae service, prepared for our Wednesday night service, prepared for the Sunday morning service. There's been burdens on me, guys. And I know I'm talking about me, but listen, I know each and every one of you have burdens that you just don't let people know about. You've got burdens that you deal with on a daily basis, things that you carry with you. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. Give it to Him. He is He is the place where we unload our burden. He is the place where we go when we are struggling. Being strengthened from the Lord always doesn't remove the burden. It places the burden into God's hands and allows the one in prayer to receive and look for God's goodness within the burden. Usually there's a goodness within the burden. It's hard to see sometimes, especially in the moment. But when we look back on it, we can say, Lord, this is how you grew me. Lord, this is how you disciplined me. Lord, this is how you changed my heart in this situation. Have you ever been burdened with something heavy? If you haven't, wait, you will be. Have you ever been burdened with something heavy? No words or tears sufficed in your communication with God. It is hard to hand over our will. Jesus did it. He asked for the cup to pass him, not once, but twice. Twice Christ asked for this cup to pass. But what did he say? He said, Not my will, but thy will be done. We got to trust the Father with the burden that we have. We got to trust the Father with the burden that we have. Next is the betrayal to the cross. This is found in Luke 22, verse 47 through 53. And then also 23 through 13, 25. You know, betrayal is tough. Last week was Palm Sunday. The the Jewish people were all laying down their jackets and palm branches as Jesus comes into the city. And then just a few short days later, they're yelling, crucify Him. Crucify Him. Judas, who was one of the twelve, Followed him everywhere he went. Betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Next to nothing. He gives over the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Betrayal is tough. Betrayal is tough. Jesus ate his final meal and dipped his hand with the one who was to turn him over to the Sanhedrin. Can you imagine that? Anybody ever been betrayed in here? You ain't got a show of hands. But you know you have. Many of us have. It's tough. It's tough to deal with. And Jesus, sitting across from a table, knew what was coming. And Jesus had been at the table with someone he knew was going to betray him. And Jesus was at the beginning. Think about this. In Genesis, in the beginning, Jesus was there when all those who would betray him were on his mind. He knew what was coming. Scripture tells us that from the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. Jesus knew the plan. He knew he was going to be betrayed. But what did he do? He trusted the Father. He obeyed the Father. There was a betrayal to the cross. Betrayal is something many of us have experienced. I pray you you haven't, but if you have, you have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, as you have and as I have, yet he is without sin. So go to him. So when you feel betrayed or, or have been betrayed, look to Christ. Look to Christ the author, and the finisher of our faith. There was the binding to the cross. If you look there, Luke 23, verses 33 through 43. Luke 23, 33 through 43. It's a big chunk of Scripture, I know that. It says in verse... um, Beginning there in verse 26 of Luke chapter 23. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren. "'Wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed.'" Boy, are we in a culture of that today. "'Then they will begin to say to the mountains, "'Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. "'For if they do these things in the greenwood, "'what will be done in the dry?' "'There are also two other criminals, "'led with him to be put to death. "'And when they had come to the place called Calvary, "'there they crucified him. "'And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left,' And an inscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Listen, we know Jesus was physically bound to the cross by nails. He was physically bound by the nails that pierced his wrist, pierced his hands and his feet. He was stabbed in the side where blood and water flowed. We know this. Nails physically kept him to the cross. Listen, the the Romans were professional executioners. They knew what they were doing. They had done this many, many times. They knew where to hang him. You know, many times we think it's here, but there's no way that would have went right through his fingers. He was pierced here in the wrist. One of the most sensitive spots on the body. So that the bones would hold him to the cross. And he's up there pierced, hanging, beaten. Scripture tells us he was beaten to the point that you couldn't even recognize that he was who he was. It's not this pretty picture that we see on TV or, or in sometimes in stained glass windows or in various things. It's, it wasn't like that. Jesus was a mangled human being hung on the cross. Beaten with a cat of nine tails, but he was hung on the cross physically by nails. But I want to tell you this he was bound to the cross by his love. He was bound to the cross by his love. Jesus said that no one takes his life from him, he will lay it down and pick it up. He himself, out of his love for mankind and obedience to the Father, he kept himself on the cross. He kept himself on the cross. You know, just as Satan tempted Him to call 10,000 angels to save Him if He was to throw Himself down. Jesus, again, could have done the same thing in this situation. But His great love for us kept Him on the cross. Jesus created the wood, the tree that He was hung on. Jesus Jesus did all that. The Scripture tells us that everything is held together by Him, through Him, for Him. and, And it's all for Him. He at any moment could have changed that situation in a moment. But he loves you and I so much that he would say, I'm going to stay here. It was not nails that kept him to the cross. It was his love for us. Now the reason, the reason for the binding was not his sin, but our sin. Jesus never sinned. He was bound on that cross for you and me. It was not His sins that was the purpose or reason for His binding, but rather our sins. He was to be the propitiation for our sins. He was to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5, 5 and 6 says, For if we have been united in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him. Our sin nature was crucified with Him. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. If you have called upon Christ, your sin was on that cross. Your sin nature was with Him. The burden of all mankind's sin was on Jesus. And that, that Sin, that blood atonement is applied to your account when you profess Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead. Then you are made free and free indeed. No longer bound to the old man. No longer bound to the ways of sin. You are bound to the one who died in your place. We owe him our lives because he gave us his. There was the burial of his body. We find that in verses 50 through 56 of Luke chapter 23. Christ was dead on the cross. Look there in verse 50. It says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. Listen, listen to that. What, a, what an amazing man of God Joseph of Arimathea was. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. This was not a private occurrence. Then, verse 56, it says, They returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. That's Saturday. They rested on the Sabbath. They went back and prepared. People say, why do you worship on Sunday? Why do Christians worship on Sunday? Because it's the Lord's day. It's the day He rose from the grave. They rested on the Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday's the first day of the week. Don't let a calendar confuse you, okay? Sunday's the first day of the week, not the end of it. So you may start the week off with a resurrected Lord and live all week in the glory of His name. He was dead. Christ was dead on the cross. The Romans, as I said earlier, were, prof- were professional executioners. They knew what they were doing. They knew when to stop. They knew that 40 lashes would kill a man. So they lashed Christ 39 times. 40 minus 1 is what the King James says. 40 minus 1, they lashed Christ. Because they knew they knew exactly how to use that whip, how to beat somebody, how to break their spirit and absolutely destroy their body. They knew how to do it. But I, I can't say, I mean, I've, I've looked through some history books, but I can't say that I've ever seen where it says that they both used the cat tails on somebody and whipped them to the extreme that they whipped Christ and hung someone on the cross. I looked for that, I looked to see if there was any record of that happening. Anybody else? know? Couldn't find it. So this is what I want you to understand. The pain and torment that Christ went through to deal with our sin, and yet we continue on doing it. And we continue on as if Christ died for nothing. Christ was dead. And to make sure all those on the crosses were dead before Passover, they were to break the legs. They they were going to break the legs of all those that were on the cross. They came to the first one, to the first uh, criminal that was on the cross, and they broke his legs. They came to Christ. He was already dead, Scripture tells us. They didn't break his legs. They didn't break His legs. Scripture tells us that there was no bone. the Old Testament prophecy, there'd be no bone broken in Him. And there was not. They went to the other. They broke His legs because they had to get Him down off the cross before Passover began at sunset. They had to take care of that. They had to take care of Him, take Him down off the cross. And everybody saw that He was dead. There was still a crowd there. There was still a crowd there. And from this, Joseph of Arimathea requested the body of Christ. Jesus was laid in the borrowed tomb fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. Why? Because he was dead. He wasn't, he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't taking a nap. He was dead. Now, you might say if only the Pharisees were left there at the, at the cross, you might can say that. If... If if just Christ's friends were the only ones left there at the cross, people might could say that. But I want to tell you, the Roman guards were there. They knew when somebody was dead, and they took Christ down and they placed him in a borrowed tomb. He was dead, but <laughs> but. On that Saturday, while everybody was observing the Sabbath, resting, preparing to go see a body that was surely dead, they didn't know what Christ was doing. Christ was going to preach to those in captivity. Now, there's a lot of talk about who that really is, who that captive is. I'll tell you this, he's not going to hell to give somebody a second chance at salvation. He went down there for, uh, to tell those that were in captivity, those angels. Some angels were put in captivity to tell them, look here, you made the wrong decision. I'm about to get up out of this place, but you never will. You have refused me, forsaken me, fought against my, 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 my father in heaven, and you were cast out. I want you to see what's going to happen. Scripture tells us that angels look on us and they desire to have what we have. Angels wish that they could have the relationship with Jesus Christ that we have. They don't got it. But we wouldn't have it either if Christ had not risen from the grave. And that's what he did. Look there in chapter 24 verses 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And what happens? They remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yay! and Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles and their words seemed like idle tales. And they did not believe them, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. This the beauty of the resurrection. It's the beauty of the resurrection. I want to tell you some things that Jesus did to, as he rose and afterwards. I want, to, I want to tell you the beauty of the resurrection. He rose. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. There was clear explanations why he wasn't there. The the angels told them He wasn't there. The women at the tomb confirmed He wasn't there. Christ wasn't there. And this was a public place. And you can only imagine the following of those placing Jesus in the tomb. It was not secluded nor kept quiet. I mean, even Roman guards were placed by the tomb. And another gospel says that the guards shook and became like dead men. When the tomb opened up and Christ came out. It is a wonderful thing to know. A beautiful thing to know. Christ had risen from the grave. And then He walked. If you look down later on. Now this is not in verses 1-12. through I'm going to go through this a little bit by a little bit. In verse 15, we see that Jesus not only rose. He walked and talked. Look there in verse 15. It says there, So it was, while they conversed, And reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Isn't it great that Jesus drew near to them? Scripture tells us that Jesus draws near to those that are brokenhearted. And these two men, as they're walking down the road, they're brokenhearted. And Jesus talks to them and he walks with them uh, and, and he tells them their issue. He walked them through their issue, excuse me, and helped them in their understanding. It's what Jesus did. And then he talked to them in verses 17 through 29. He talks them all the way down uh, to Emmaus explaining everything about himself. Jesus begins explaining uh, to them who he is. And uh, so they, they began to explain to him. And then it tells us that he, beginning at Moses, in verse 27, of chapter 24, it says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus taught them as they walked. You want to have a strong, growing relationship with the Lord? Talk with the Lord as you're walking down the road. Talk with the Lord as you're going about your day. Talk with the Lord in prayer as you're living your life. Talk to the Lord. He will talk to you. Look there in verse 30. He sat with them. Look there in chapter 24, verse 39. It came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread, blessed, broke it, and gave it to them. He sat down with them. He spent time consoling them and fellowshipping with them. And we know when you invite someone to sit at the table with you, that's a special place to sit. That means you're really getting in close. You know what I mean? You invite somebody over to your house, come inside. You know, uh, sit at the table. And the next biggest thing is you could get stuff out of the fridge without asking. But, you know, I don't know if they had a fridge. But, But, you know, we move in these relationships, you know. And you sit down at a table with somebody, you know the relationship's getting good. The relationship's getting good. And Jesus walked with him. He talked with him. He sat with them. He blessed. Look there at verse 31. 30 and 31. It says, He took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew Him. And He vanished from their sights. And he, they said, Wow! This is wild! That was Christ! That's the risen Christ! Walked all the way to Emmaus with us. He opened their eyes. He blessed and, and he still knew where his blessings came from. He asked God the Father to bless his food, and that's what opened the eyes to these, these disciples. How amazing is that? It's important for us to ask God to bless our meals also. I mean, this is Jesus Christ risen from the grave, and he still asked the, the Father to bless his food. It's important for us to ask God to bless our food. He reappears. I'm jumping down a little bit there into verse 36. Now they've gone back. He's broke the bread. The the disciples that were with him on Emmaus have run back to town to tell all the other apostles and disciples. They're in the upper room. And so now as they were saying these things, this is the two that were in Emmaus. Now as they were saying these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. So here he is. He's reappeared. Jesus down here, Jesus in Emmaus, all of a mass, and also Jesus in the upper room. They have shut the door. other gospels tell us that basically they have shut the doors, they' are hiding out in fear because the body is gone. they think the Romans are going to come get them. they think the Pharisees are going to come get them they 're scared for their lives they're not a very big group at this time. Very easily, they could have all been rounded up and done away with very quickly. They knew the reality of what the Roman uh, roman soldiers could do what the pharisees the the sway that they had so they were hiding but yet jesus reappears to them and even in all the hiding in the upper room with doors shut and them closed in jesus appears to them then he presents himself he presents himself look there in verse 39 in verse 39 uh, because they have doubts in their hearts and they're troubled it tells us that in verse 38 in verse 39, he says, "Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have." He presents himself. Any of y'all ever been to the airport? Any of y'all ever been to the airport? Man, you got to take off your belt. You got to take off your shoes. You know what I mean? Because you got to present yourself that you're not presenting any kind of threat. You got to remove all doubt that there's no threat to you getting on this plane. Listen, he was removing all doubt about who he was. You got any doubt? Take a look and see. Take a look and see. He presented himself. He told them, place your fingers in the holes in my hands or in my wrist. The same wound. Take a look at my side. Jesus didn't have a dress shirt on, so it wasn't unbuttoning it. I don't know how he got to it so quickly. But nonetheless, Jesus is saying, look, take a look at it right here. Take a look. This is me. You saw this happen to me. But listen, you can't take hold of me yet, but you could touch me. You could touch me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But he's like, just look, this is me. He presented himself. Jesus was not one about rumors. Jesus didn't want any rumors. He didn't want there to be any confusion. He made it very clear. I am alive, I was dead, and I am risen from the grave. It's me. It's not an imposter. The burden is gone. The betrayal is done and over with. The binding was real. The burial was legit. And now note the beauty of my resurrection. Look at the beauty of this resurrection. One day you all will be as I am. There in verses 41 through 48, he ate. Yes, How important is that? It's kind of important. I'm going to talk about it. Verse 41 through 43. Excuse me, I think I said 48. 41 through 43. It says, but while they still not believed for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? (laughs) You know, it's been a little bit since Jesus has been able to eat. He's still in a non glorified, ascended body. He's hungry. He's hungry. I'm just thankful he wasn't hangry. He was just hungry. But he says, But while They were still did not believe for joy and marvel. He said to them, "Have you any food here?" So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Okay, all right. Now hold up. This is this is crazy. If you think about it for a minute, all right. Jesus has risen from the grave. He's walked all the way to Emmaus. He's getting his steps in. He's walked all the way down there. He's sat. He's talked. He's blessed. He's walked. He's reappeared. He's done all these things. And then he says, Hey, look, I'm hungry. I got any food? Okay, now now you want to talk about messing with somebody's mind? you talk talking about messing with somebody's mind. Wait a minute. We had the doors locked down here and we're on the second level. Nah, that don't make no sense. And it's locked from the inside. How, how, how did you get up here, Jesus? You know? But you know what? They, they had some fish, they gave him the food, and he ate, and he ate. He revealed to them and to us that his resurrection was a bodily resurrection, just as all those who have died in Christ will one day experience. One day, everyone will experience a bodily resurrection. Christ was the firstborn from the dead. If you have your Bibles open, real quickly you can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 46 through 49. I'm going to breeze through this pretty quickly. But I want you to understand that we all will one day experience a bodily resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 46 through 49. The spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. That's talking about Adam, the first one made from dust. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. That's the natural And the spiritual. As the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Mm. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. In verses 50 through 55, Paul explains how the natural body will not inherit the kingdom of God apart from being made incorruptible. The, the corruptible will put on incorruption. But when Christ returns, the bodily resurrection will transform these lowly broken bodies into glorified, incorruptible bodies of, that, can, that is capable of sustaining the glory that is in and from God in heaven. <clears throat> At that time, we will see the fullness of God's redemptive work. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-58 says it this way. So when this corruptible, when this corruptible, this flesh and bone, when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is then the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's talking about his bodily resurrection. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We are to be people that are serving the Lord that have been saved by the Lord. We should be people serving the Lord that's been saved by the Lord. We should be steadfast, We should be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not minimizing, not slipping through the cracks, but abounding in the work of the Lord because we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why is that? Because we know that Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is risen from the dead. And so we too, as Paul writes there, we too will one day experience a bodily resurrection just as Christ was the first fruit of the dead. Jesus commissioned them in verses 44 through 49. We see Jesus tell them, These words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. If you want to comprehend the scriptures, you got to be in Jesus. People that are not in Jesus, or not spending time in their relationship with Jesus, will always struggle to understand the Word of God. You've got to be in Jesus and with Jesus, and He will open up your understanding. There in verse 46, Then He said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He commissioned them to share the gospel. And you are witnesses of these things. You didn't just see it. You are to say it. Julie always says that we play a game in the car. Uh, Say what you see. Say what you see. I go down the road and I'll see a sign. I'll read the sign out loud. I'll see a cow. If I see a cat hit on the road, I will say, "Oh, that was somebody's cat." Um, she always gets a kick out of that. Y'all are probably like, man, that's that's weird. But anyway, that's just what I do. That was that was somebody's pet. But you know, I, I say what I see. It's just what I do. I'm ADD or something. I don't know. But but I just say what I see. And so when we when we see what Christ has done, we're supposed to say what Christ has done it's not supposed to be a silent faith it's a proclaimed faith is what we have and he commissioned him he explained his death Jesus explains what should be preached in his name from his death it's repentance and forgiveness of sin so many pulpits today are just preaching love Many preachers are just preaching joy or just preaching eight steps to do this, three steps to do that. I want to tell you one step, step to Jesus and Jesus will take care of the rest. Step to Jesus. That's the step I'm telling you to take. I want you to talk to Jesus, live for Jesus, show Jesus that you love him by keeping his word. Scripture tells us they will know we are his disciples by Keeping his word and by the love we show to the brethren. It tells us Jesus says to them, preach repentance. We are sinners. And we've got to repent. And when we repent, we will receive remission or forgiveness of our sins. Repentance is what's supposed to be preached from the pulpit. Now don't get me wrong. Within that repentance, you've got to understand the love of Christ. You've got to understand the grace of Jesus. You need to understand the mercy that he has. But if you don't repent of the sins, you don't understand why the love is there. You've got to repent of sins. And Jesus commands them from their own eyewitness testimony. And Jesus assures them of the coming Holy Spirit and the promise. Look there in verse 49. Behold, I send the promise. That's a capital P in my Bible talking about the Holy Spirit. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, upon you, and tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He commissioned them. Then he ascended there in verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. I want you to understand in this ascension, he led them, he blessed them, he departed from them. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's where Jesus is right now. Jesus saves us by his work, but the Holy Spirit retains us by the power, by his power. Until the day of redemption, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's what scripture says. The Holy Spirit is who is with us, who is the counselor. And when Jesus said, if I don't go away, he's not coming. So Jesus went away, so we have him. We have the promise that the Father has sent us. We have the promise, and he's upon us. So what did they do in response to that? Look there in verse 52. And they worshipped him, worshipped Jesus Christ, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. I wonder if they went that day and they were going celebrate Jesus. Celebrate, you know what I mean? They're walking into the temple and there are people like, "Why are you singing about Jesus? We thought we killed him." No, celebrate! He is risen. He is risen. You know, come on and celebrate <laughs> the resurrection of our Lord, man. Could you? I mean, could you imagine? They were one day. They were. Oh, mopey and sad Jesus died on the cross. The next day, they're hiding in the room. The next day, they're like, I don't care. I'm stepping up into the temple. Jesus is risen. I ain't scared of you because the one I worship that was dead is now alive. And I don't have to fear you because if you kill me, I know where I'm going. I saw his body. I could have touched his hands. I saw him eat fish. You know what I mean? I'm going with him. I'm going to be with him. Today, you could be with him. You can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can step up into every situation without fear. Because you know what? The scripture tells us, don't fear the man who take your life. Fear the man who take your life and your soul. And I ain't gotta fear him no more. I love him and he loves me. God demonstrated his own love for us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. Man, how beautiful, how amazing, how wonderful is that on this resurrection day to know that Christ is risen. From the grave. He's risen from the grave. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray today be the day that you give your life to Jesus. There's no greater day. What a great day to know that Christ is risen from the grave. The burden, the betrayal, the binding is all gone. And you can be, you can be past it too. The burden of the sin that you've had in your life can be gone. The betrayal, how Satan has betrayed you into thinking that what you're doing right now is right, can be gone. The binding to say oh this is your sin your sin can only keep you in the past your sin your sin is that's who you are no it's not it don't have to be you it could be christ in you and christ has already taken care of that do you want to do that today you can